It must have been magnificent. Awe-inspiring. Beautiful. You walked past those giant columns that just dwarfed overhead, and, and you entered into those doors, and they opened up to this grand hallway, just majestic, luxurious, the, the bright, cheerful hardwood floors that flowed out from underneath your feet and expanded all across the room, the cedar that decorated the, the walls with this intricate and ornate carvings, angels and palm trees and flowers, and gold, gold everywhere. Everywhere. There's everything overlaid with gold so that every single glimmer of light that came into that space, as it reflected off of those polished surfaces, it brought a new shine, a new shimmer. And I mean, it almost would have bordered on like over the top, except it was still refined and elegant, luxurious. And you could tell just every single detail pointed you to know and to understand that that project, it was undertaken with great care, deliberate planning. As you, as you walk throughout the space, every single doorway, you'd, you'd reach out for the handle and it would just halt you in your steps because of how intricate all the carvings were on, on the doors. That's how I imagine it was like when the people walked into the temple that Solomon had built. One of those moments where you just, you sense it, you feel it, right? God has to be present here. It's so amazing, so beautiful. Now Solomon had spared no expense. He used the, the absolute and the, the very best as he designed this temple. The very best materials, the very best craftsmen and tradesmen. Thousands of people contributed to this project. It was an architectural wonder of the time, both in design and in function. It became the centerpiece of the city of Jerusalem, sat atop a hill so that everyone could see it. And God promised to bless it. And the Bible records all of the gifts that were given in support of this building project. The time it took, the construction, the details of the building, the timeline, all of that's recorded for us in the chapters that lead up to 1 Kings chapter 9 that we're taking a look at this morning. And in chapter 8, you have the details of the dedication ceremony for this worship space for the people. And among all those details, in that ceremony, Solomon himself, he spent significant time in a thorough prayer to God, asking him to put his presence there, to dwell among his people and in this temple. It was a prayer that invited God's presence among them. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, then, we hear the answer to that prayer. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple, which you have built, 
by putting my name there forever, my eyes and my heart will always be there. This would be the place where God's promises to undo the work of that ancient serpent who had led his people astray, those promises would be reiterated again and again and again. It was here that the people would begin their week-long festival on the hills of the yearly celebration of the Passover when they remembered how God had rescued and delivered them. On this mount, surrounded by all of this splendor, the people would watch and witness all the ceremonies of that Day of Atonement, the highlight of their worship life. And all of this, the the majesty, the splendor, the design, everything that would take place there, it was to bring glory to God, to proclaim His name, to speak of His grace. Think about how important this place was. And so it was worthy of all the magnificence. It was worthy of the extravagance and the opulence. It was worthy of of every single detail and all the luxury that went into it. And God himself, he consecrated it. He set it apart. He made it distinct and distinguished from any other place on this earth. He said, my name will dwell there. This is where my presence will be in a visible fashion. Pastor Ben from our Doral campus, he just got back from an incredible trip. He, he was able to go over to Israel. And I am so excited to get a chance to talk with him and just hear about the, the experiences he had while over there, the insights that he gained into biblical places. I will gladly sit there as he cycles through probably the thousands of pictures that he has of biblical sites. But do you know what picture he won't have? A picture of this temple. And it's not because it's under repairs or construction for restoration purposes because it's an ancient building. It's not because it's off limits to foreigners or tourists. It just isn't there. It doesn't exist. All all of this beauty, all of this magnificence became dust and ashes. It was destroyed completely. And there were other temples that were built there on that site. A Jewish leader named Zerubbabel, he oversaw the construction of one. And another Jewish leader, Herod, he built another. Both of them grand and luxurious and opulent. And also both of them destroyed. And it should come as no surprise because God actually warned about this. He told his people... 
But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and you go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off from Israel, from the land I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And the people will answer, it is because they have forsaken the Lord their God. Even with all the the beauty of this building, the people lost sight of the beauty of their God. And if you're taking notes today, that's the first thing I want you to write down. The beauty of our God is far greater than the beauty of of any building. In spite of all the ornate intricacies designed to bring glory to his name, the people forgot the glory that God works for himself as he intricately designs the paths of people's lives and he ornaments them with his love and his grace. Despite all the majesty and magnificence that was present in this space, the people forgot the majesty and the magnificence of the Lord Almighty. The people abandoned their God. And as they did, God abandoned this place that he had consecrated for his own dwelling. He promised to make his own eyes and his own heart dwell there. But the people took their eyes off of their God. They refused to worship him with undivided hearts. Do you think that we would ever do the same thing? Would buildings and places, ornaments, and decorations, would they ever become more important to us than the God to whom they ought to point? Have any of you ever traveled to Europe? Gone to Europe? It's an amazing opportunity. I I was blessed to be able to go over to Germany During my time in college, spent several weeks over there, got to travel around for a week. And Europe is amazing. The architecture of Europe is amazing. I mean, buildings that are centuries older than our country is. And they're they're masterful, ornate, magnificent. Works of stone and wood. There's these exquisitely beautiful churches over there. These exquisitely beautiful churches, and and they're filled with statues and and marble floors, stained glass windows, these amazing pulpits and altars. All of that that was designed to bring glory to God. It It was designed to tell the story of His grace to this world. And there's a lot of them. They, they dominate the, the city skylines. And they are a problem. Because they sit empty. 
decaying buildings that European cities and church leaders don't know what to do with them. You sell them? Repurpose them? Demolish them? Uh, the Wall Street Journal had an article that they published in 2015, so several years ago already, and the title of the article was Empty, Europe's Empty Churches Go on Sale. God's name is no longer declared in them. Uh, people don't hear about his grace or his glory inside their walls. Instead, they skate, shop, drink. Uh, this is St. Joseph in Arnhem, Netherlands. It's been turned into a skate park. And another 19th century church in that same city has been turned into an upscale clothing store. And a Lutheran church in Edinburgh, Scotland is now a Frankenstein-themed bar. And in Bristol, England, St. Paul's Church is now the Circo Media Circus Training School. All of these were beautiful buildings. But people forgot and lost the beauty of God. So, dear friends, today I want to invite you to give thanks. I want you to be encouraged because God's presence isn't tied to a place, but to His promise. It isn't tied to our faithfulness, but to God's. <laughs> and so let's not forget the true beauty of our God and the beauty which this temple that Solomon built, it teaches us about. Our God longs to dwell with his people. He desires to dwell with you. He wanted to do that in a special way among his Old Testament people. He promised that. He, he wanted to use this beautiful, ornate building that Solomon had built to show his people that he was present among them. And his desire hasn't changed. And in fact, his promise to you is even greater, is even bigger than the one that is here. Because God has made his presence known in an even more beautiful, even more majestic way. Because he consecrated his own son. He set him apart and distinguished him for his purposes to be his visible presence on this earth. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. That's the reality here. And when we see Jesus, we see that he is the true temple in which we meet the presence of God. And Jesus made that bold claim when he said, destroy this temple. And he was talking about himself, his body. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. His resurrection proves that he is the son of God. He is where we meet God's presence. 
God gave Jesus the name that is above all names. And isn't Jesus beautiful? Not in his physical appearance, but in his work for our salvation. I mean, isn't it magnificent? The musty straw hastily thrown into the feeding trough for the animals so that an exhausted mother could have a place to lay her newborn baby. And a terrified blue-collar father could finally breathe again. As that baby's heavenly father watched from up above. As the angels declared to those frightened shepherds out in the fields, do not be afraid. We bring you good news of great joy. Today, a Savior has been born to you. This child, God wrapped in flesh and blood. Isn't it beautiful? That blood-stained cross that sits atop the grotesque hill of Golgotha. A place of horrific execution. And yet even more horrific, the full wrath of a zealously holy God unleashed against Jesus, his son. But that blood-stained cross, it is beautiful. Because that cross sets you free from sin and guilt. That cross means that there is no condemnation for you. That you have been washed clean in Jesus' blood. Isn't it magnificent, awe-inspiring to peer into the darkness of a cavernous tomb and see that it is empty? He is not there. He has risen. And your victorious Savior, He promises you, I am with you always. And that promise is neither empty nor vague. It is a promise of God's presence in your life. That God promises to dwell with you every single day. And it's a beautiful promise from a beautiful God Isn't it beautiful that when we have abandoned our God, when we have stepped away from Him again, when we have taken our eyes off of Him, and we have divided our hearts again, still God desires to be present with us. Still His promise stands. God has ornamented you with his love. He declares you are forgiven, redeemed, chosen, bought, precious, and holy in his sight. So, isn't it beautiful today? And if you're watching this, or maybe you're listening to it as a podcast, let me just describe it for you. We're in a gym. 
There's basketball hoops in here. I know they're hidden. They're way up there, but they're there. And the walls are ornamented with the scuffs of playground balls and basketballs and volleyballs and tennis shoes. You look closely, you'll see a few places where the drywall is crumbling a little bit because the bleachers got ran into the, the wall. And if you look up at those windows, you see some really big cobwebs. But it's beautiful. It's majestic in here today because right now, right here, God is present. Right now, right here, Jesus is with us. He places his glorious saving name over you. He chooses to dwell with you. His eyes are on you. His heart is for you. Isn't it beautiful? And now I'm talking about your life. And maybe you don't feel like you're living the dream. Maybe you feel very alone. Maybe you're struggling right now really deeply with something. Sin, guilt, shame, fear, sadness. And no matter what it is, Dear friends, Jesus is with you. In that, Jesus is with you. He promises it. God's desire is to be present with you because of his faithfulness and his promise. He is with you always. The beauty of our God is his desire to be present with us. And so you don't have to go to Israel, although that would be really, really cool. And you don't have to go to Europe, although it's really, really cool. And we don't have to build the most majestic, awe-inspiring, magnificent, ornate church building, although that would be awesome. We just have to know God's promise promise that he gives to us in his word, that he is present with his people. We have that promise, his name, his dwelling, his grace right here. His eyes are on you. His heart is for you. His presence is with you always because of Jesus, the true temple where God's presence dwells. And Jesus is magnificent awe-inspiring and beyond beautiful. Amen? Amen.